Good morning. Please turn in your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at several scripture passages this morning, but I will focus mostly on 1 Thessalonians 4. So if you turn there now, you'll be ready for it when I get to it later. I'm now finishing up my third year at Randolph Baptist Church. In those three years, I doubt I've preached more than two or three topical sermons, and I will continue to preach through books of the Bible from beginning to end. But this morning, I thought it would be a good time for another topical sermon. When I did the introduction to the fourth Advent candle, I said, Christ has come in the flesh, and so now we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. We've been focusing on Jesus' first coming, so before we get back to the book of Acts, I thought it might be good to take a Sunday to focus on Jesus' second coming. 2020 has been kind of a nightmare. We've seen things in 2020 that we couldn't have dreamed of before. For example, if someone had written a book just last Christmas about governors putting their entire states under virtual house arrest, shutting down businesses and churches, and threatening business owners and pastors with fines or arrest, all the while releasing criminals back on the streets, no one would have believed it. No one would have believed that governors would stand idly by watching rioters burn down hundreds of businesses in their cities and that city councils would then seriously promote a movement to defund the police. Only a year ago, people would have said that might make a good science fiction novel, but it couldn't possibly ever happen in America. And yet it did. As I look forward to 2021, I'm afraid the ride may not be over yet. In fact, I feel a bit like I used to feel at the top of a very high roller coaster just before plunging down the other side. Take a deep breath and hang on tight because what happens next is totally beyond your control. And that's how I feel about 2021. So buckle your seatbelts. Let's see what the Bible says about the future. But before we start, let's pray. Lord, some of what I have to say this morning is very controversial, even among our own church family. Father, I pray for discernment that people would know whether what I am teaching is really what your word says. And I pray for unity, that we would agree to disagree agreeably, that we would major on the majors and not on the minors. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. In a recent discussion about future events, someone brought up the name of Jan Markell. I know several of you listened to her and I had never listened to her before. So I went to her website and listened to her latest podcast from December 11th. She was interviewing a guy named David Reagan about his book, The Rapture, Fact or Fiction. Ms. Markell said it was the best book on the market today about the rapture. And she spent some time criticizing pastors who don't teach about it. So I bought the book and I read it. Now, I've read lots of books about the rapture and the end times and have studied this topic on and off for decades. And I found that this book was just a summary of some of the best arguments from the past 40 years or so. There were some things I agreed with and some things I didn't. This morning, I'm just going to summarize my understanding of what the Bible teaches about the end times. I can do it in just five points. My first point is not even very controversial. I think virtually all Bible-believing Christians agree that Jesus is coming back. 
In John 14, 3, Jesus says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In Matthew 24, 44, Jesus says, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man, now that's how Jesus usually referred to himself, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In Acts 1, 11, right after Jesus had ascended into heaven, an angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Resurrected Jesus had a physical body when he went into heaven. And the book of Acts says he is coming back that same way. So point number one is that Jesus is coming back. My second point is that before Jesus comes back, there will be time of unprecedented and worldwide tribulation, the likes of which the world has never seen. Daniel chapter 12 calls it a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Matthew 24, Jesus says, there will be great distress. The King James calls it great tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and will never be equaled again. The book of Revelation speaks of massive disease, death, destruction, on a worldwide scale, unlike anything humanity has ever seen before. Now, if I understand the books of Daniel and Revelation correctly, it seems that this time of tribulation will include some kind of globalist, worldwide government coalition, which will culminate in tyranny and massive persecution, headed by someone the Bible calls the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of an image of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and ten toes of clay. It was a vision about a succession of world empires down to the end of time when the ten toes are the final human kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, the final king kingdom is a coalition of ten horns, or kings, who will, quote, speak against the Most High and oppress his saints. Revelation chapter 17 picks up on this theme of ten horns, which it defines as ten kings, of some coalition of nations. And by the way, much of Daniel and nearly all of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which is highly symbolic. So the number 10 here may be symbolic for completeness. It does not necessarily mean there will be a literal 10-nation confederacy. It could be something like the UN Security Council, which currently has 15 members. Anyway, in Revelation 17, these nations give their power and authority to someone the book of Revelation calls the Beast, also known as the Antichrist. Think Adolf Hitler on a worldwide scale. He makes war against the people of God, and Revelation says he becomes drunk, so to speak, on their blood. Revelation chapter 13 speaks of another beast who deceives people, causing them to worship the first beast, or Antichrist. Some scholars believe this second beast may actually be the apostate church who supports this world empire and the Antichrist. 
by apostate, I mean churches that have abandoned the foundation doctrines of historic Christianity and that support or promote home or immorality. This segment of the church, what I call cultural Christians, will evidently support the Antichrist and his programs and persecute us. Another aspect of this final Antichrist kingdom is that it will set up a worldwide financial system in which those who do not accept some mark of the beast will not be able to buy or sell anything. Now, back when social security numbers were first being passed out, some were afraid that that was the mark of the beast. Some today are worried that COVID vaccine may be the mark of the beast. Whatever this mark is, I'm quite sure that in order to get it, you will have to worship or at least swear allegiance to this Antichrist ruler or his anti-Christian coalition government, which is something true Christians could never do. Those who choose to receive this mark fall under the wrath of God. So I agree with people like Jan Markell, David Reagan, Tim LaHaye, David Jeremiah, Hal Lindsey, Jack Van Impey, John Wolver, Dwight Pentecost, and others, that Jesus is coming and that his coming will be preceded by a time of great worldwide tribulation. Where I disagree with them, however, is that they think this tribulation will last seven years. They get this mostly from the vision of Daniel's uh, of 70 weeks of years in Daniel chapter 9. But that's one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible, and Bible scholars disagree on its interpretation. My problem with Jan Markell and some of the others that I mentioned is that they sometimes seem to imply that if you don't agree with their interpretation of this very difficult passage of Daniel's 70 weeks of years, that you really don't believe the Bible. And that's absolutely not true. In fact, it causes unnecessary divisions in the body of Christ. The fact is that we do not know for sure how long this time of tribulation will be. It may be seven years, but it may also be longer or shorter. We just don't know. And by the way, I think all the people I mentioned, Jan Markell and David Reagan and Tim LaHaye, David Jeremiah and the rest are godly people who genuinely love the Lord. So I'm not attacking them personally. I'm not saying they're bad people or heretics or anything like that. We just disagree on some minor issues. That's all. Anyway, my second point was that this time of great tribulation will involve some kind of worldwide government coalition, eventually headed by an antichrist tyrant who will make war on the true people of God and he may be supported by an apostate church. My third point is that Jesus will return with his angels to destroy this Antichrist kingdom and send up his own kingdom of justice and righteousness on earth. We saw that in visions of Daniel. In both visions I mentioned, the final human kingdom was destroyed when God set up his own kingdom. In Isaiah 65, the Lord creates new heavens and a new earth, setting up his kingdom on his renewed earth. In the book of Zechariah, the Lord, God, comes back and becomes king over all the earth. In Revelation, Jesus returns with the armies of heaven and, quotes, treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. 
In other words, he destroys the world's kingdoms and sets up his own kingdom on earth. So on my third point, I agree with Jan Markell and the others that I mentioned, that when Jesus comes back, he will set up and rule over a kingdom of peace and righteousness on earth. My fourth point is that sometime before Jesus sets up his kingdom, he will take his people, both living and dead, out of this world. This could happen at any time. Now, because this is such a controversial topic, uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, if you're using the Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 1170. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Paul writes, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Falling asleep in this passage is a metaphor for death, of course. And Paul teaches that when Jesus comes back, he will bring believers with him. How does this happen? How does he bring believers with him? Verses 15 to 17 explain. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, back in the 300s AD, the Bible was translated from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. And that Latin translation became the church's Bible for the next thousand years. In the Latin translation, the Latin word for caught up in verse 17 is where we get our English word rapture. The word rapture never appears in the Bible. Maybe we should stop calling it the rapture and just call it the catching up instead, but that would also be confusing. Anyway, according to Paul, Jesus will come back and all the dead Christians who have ever lived will be given new resurrection bodies. I get that out of 1 Corinthians 15 and be taken up to meet Jesus in the air. Then all believers who are alive at that time will also be transformed into new resurrection bodies and will meet the Lord in the air. This is what we call the rapture. So notice in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says this will come like a thief in the night. A thief does not schedule an appointment doesn't give you any advance notice. He just shows up unexpectedly. And that's how Paul says the rapture will be. So where did Paul get such a strange idea anyway? Well, according to Paul, he got it from Jesus' teachings. In verse 15, Paul says he got this according to the Lord's word. Jesus also likened his return to the coming of a thief. Matthew 24, Jesus says, Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken, 
the other one left. And then Jesus says, but understand this. The owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, what time the thief was coming. He would have kept watch and would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So I agree completely with Jan Markell and the others that we do not know when Jesus will come back. Where I disagree is that they insist that Jesus will come back before the Antichrist is revealed and before the Great Tribulation begins. Now, what is interesting is that David Reagan, whose book Jan Markell promoted, admitted that the time of the rapture is not specifically mentioned in the Bible and that all we have to go on are inferences. And he is absolutely right. The problem is that Jan Markell and the others sometimes seem to attack Christians just because we don't agree on how they put all the inferences together. There are doctrines in the Bible worth fighting for, but inferences about the timing of the rapture is not one of them. The fact is that we do not know when the rapture will take place. It could happen today. It could happen before or any time during the Great Tribulation. We just don't know. So who cares? What difference does it make? Well, in 1949, when Mao Zedong implemented the communist revolution in China, some scholars say at least one million people were initially killed, and Christians were especially targeted. Eventually, 40 to 80 million people were killed. I once heard that Christians who lived in China at that time had been taught by their missionaries that the rapture would happen before the Great Tribulation. And Chinese believers were convinced that Mao Zedong must be the Antichrist and that the Great Tribulation had begun. Nothing, they thought, could be greater tribulation than what they were facing. But some lost their faith because they had been, not been raptured as the first missionaries had promised. Now, frankly, I don't care what position you take on the time of the rapture. I don't care if you're pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or partial rapture. But please just realize that theories about the timing of the rapture are not based on direct biblical teaching, but on inferences. Don't hold on to your rapture position so tightly that you lose your faith if it doesn't happen when you expect. My fifth and final point is that Jesus will be the final judge of all who have ever lived. In John 5.22, Jesus said, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. In 1 Corinthians 5.10, Paul wrote, For we, he includes himself, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 26, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. When you stand before that judgment seat, having to give account for every thought, every intention, every action, 
every idle word you've ever spoken, you have only one hope. If you have turned your heart and life over to Jesus Christ in loving devotion as the king and ruler of your life, the Bible calls faith. Your sins have been forgiven, the slate is wiped clean, and you will be ushered into his eternal kingdom. Otherwise, be prepared for him to say, as he does in Matthew 25, Depart from me, you, you are, who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So in a nutshell, what I believe is that Jesus is coming. His coming will be preceded by a time of unprecedented tribulation, after which Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth and will judge everyone who has ever lived. Sometime between now and then, he will rapture Christians out of this world. That's what I believe the Bible teaches about the end times in a nutshell. So when many of us see the powerful political push for globalism and socialism, with their attacks on nationalism and, and their Green New Deal and their Great Reset, we begin wondering if that's the beginning of this worldwide anti-Christ government. Our concern is heightened when we see churches being shut down and we see the rising number of attacks against Christians, legal attacks against Christians in this country. A massive number of Christians being slaughtered around the world. The rise of anti-Semitism is also concerning, as is the overwhelming acceptance and promotion of immorality, even by some churches. We begin to wonder if we're seeing the beginning of the end. Beware of two dangers, however. First, beware of dogmatically declaring that what is happening now is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Be careful about that. Christians once thought Nero was the Antichrist. In more than a thousand years of Russian history, Christians often thought they were facing the Antichrist or the end times. Many Christians undoubtedly thought Hitler or Mao Zedong was the Antichrist. Back in the 70s, many Christians were saying that the Union, European Union would be the ten-nation world confederacy. They were all wrong. Be careful of dogmatically saying that we are what we are seeing is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. I think that has made Christians look silly and may have even turned people away from the faith. On the other hand, beware of going to the opposite extreme and ignoring or shunning end-time prophecies. The Bible does give prophecies about the end, and we should not ignore them. We are commanded to watch and be ready for Jesus' return. It is perfectly valid to look at political and social realities of our times and be prepared in case they turn out to be the fulfillment of end-time prophecies. The point of those prophecies, however, was never just to satisfy our curiosity or to help us create detailed timelines of how we think the end will turn out. The point of prophecy, or one point of prophecy, was to strengthen believers with the knowledge that regardless how, how bad things look, in the end, God wins. And those of us who follow Christ win with him. We saw that point emphasized over and over when we preached through the book of Daniel. A second point of those prophecies is to encourage people or believers to be faithful to Christ regardless of the circumstances. As we look forward to the roller coaster ride that may be 2021, determine now 
to strive to be faithful to our Lord, regardless of what comes, knowing that in the end, Christ wins and we win with him. Let's pray. Lord, help each of us be prepared for your return. For those, those of us who know you as our King and Lord, strengthen us. Give us wisdom for the days ahead. For anyone here this morning who does not know you, Lord, convict them. Draw them to yourself. Give them a heart of faith to love you and follow you above all else. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.